Well, this morning we are continuing on with our series in Joel. Joel is a prophet who lived uh, probably about 800 years before Jesus. And so we're trying to listen to Joel, listen to the word that he has for us. Last week, we heard Joel as he was describing a a plague of locusts that was coming, uh, that was coming on the city of Jerusalem. And he was talking to the church, and his advice to the, the, sorry, not the church, to the people of God then, the people of Israel, was to, one, to mourn the losses, to mourn the things that were coming, to repent, to turn away from the way they were living and turn back to God, and also to ask God's guidance forward to help them uh, through through this catastrophe. This last week, I have been working on my own repentance, asking God, Lord, please forgive me. been asking God to help me to work on the places where I've been overcommitted and distracted from God. To work on the places in me where I've been overindulgent in myself and possessive of my stuff, unwilling to share. Um, God working on me in the ways that I am proud and, and self-reliant and sometimes get started in things. It feels like too often, actually, get started in things that I'm even doing uh, in ministry without even asking God, Lord, what do you want to do here? What do you want this to look like? As also this week, we gathered here in this church on Thursday night for a sacred assembly coming out of Joel's uh, recommendation to the people of God. And it was in that time that I realized that not only were there holes in my life, but there was a hole in our church as well in terms of compassion and mercy and justice. And I don't mean that necessarily individually, because I hear your stories of the ways that you are caring for people in our community. Even this morning, we were talking about 20 children that were sponsored by this church, by people individually. But I'm talking about more our ministries of the church, where especially me as a leader, where I am leading us into ministries of compassion, mercy, and justice. And so I was convicted of that this week as well. And so I'm starting to wonder, you know, where do we go from here? And as we're listening to Joel and as we are praying to God and repenting, you know, if we repent, can, can we get this catastrophe, this pandemic, to turn around? You know, maybe even a bigger question is, what are our chances with God? If we repent, how does God respond to us? Some of you may have questions like these. Some of you might have questions, you know, what about this pandemic? What about the fact that, you know, there's the health issue, there's the virus and the potential for that to make people very sick, even, even to kill people? Not only that, then there's the economic fallout. People without work, people who are, um, bills are piling up. Then we have, on top of that, we have the social friction, things we hear about, stories of of riots and stuff in the U.S. and and, and protests, even in Canada. That there's all these things that are adding up. More importantly, what about our relationship with God? You know, are we lost? If God is, if there's, this pandemic is coming, and as we've seen plagues in the Old Testament and, and God's work in the New Testament, you know, is, this, is it too late for us? Will God forgive us and guide us forward? These are questions that people ask. And I hear God speaking to us this week in the prophet Joel. And so I want to get into it here in a moment. But before we do that, if you would please take a moment and let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. Uh, Holy Spirit. Lord God, we pray for your direction as we study your word, as we hear the words of Joel, the words that you gave Joel. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. Let us hear it again fresh today. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, this morning we are in Joel chapter 2. For those of you who are at home, if you want to open up your Bibles to Joel chapter 2, we're going to be working through it on the screen. I'm going to tell you that the, there's, some, there's a little bit of repetition in between chapter 1 and chapter 2, so I'm going to move pretty quickly through this first part of chapter 2. <coughs> so it begins with, 
Uh, Joel says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness. See, this, this idea of, of raise the alarm. That people of God, the time is now. Don't keep going on with the way things were. The time is come. And he's saying this, that the day of the Lord is coming. And I want to encourage us or to, to let us know this, that the day of the Lord is always coming. That we are always moving closer to the time that Christ returns. Now, in this time, and I, we talked some about this last, last week, but there is the day of the Lord, the final day when Christ returns. But there's also days of the Lord. And this is, Joel is talking about this, one of the days of the Lord, this, this plague, this, this locust that has come. And um, in Acts, when Peter is talking to the crowd, he was talking to them in terms of that too was a day of the Lord, the Holy Spirit being poured out. Essentially, we as a church, as a people of God, we need to live ready. To be ready for Christ's return at any moment, to be living faithfully. So as Joel is talking about this, he goes on to say, Like the dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor never will be in ages to come. Before them fire devours, behind them a flame blazes. Before them the land is like the Garden of Eden, behind them a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. Now, it could be that Joel is using hyperbole here, overstating it to help us get a sense for what is happening, how terrible this is. And or it could even be, too, that Joel is talking, looking forward to the day of the Lord, the final coming of God. <clears throat> Whatever our understanding of this is, it's catastrophic. It's catastrophic, and it's a huge thing that is troubling for the people of God. I continue to hear this as I've been reading and studying this week. I continue to see that Joel is actually, I think he's actually still talking about an actual plague of locusts. He says here you can see it coming on the horizon. Sort of this, this problem is coming, and it keeps coming. And not only that, but there's coming, and they realize it will totally destroy everything, and there's no way to escape it. He goes on to say, he says, They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry, with a noise like that of chariots. They leap over the mountaintops, like a crackling fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. And at the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. <clears throat> Joel is grasping for words here to try and convey the problem, to try and convey the terror that's coming. For me, it's this simile, this fact that he keeps using the word like, that they are like this or they have the appearance of, that kind of convinces me that he's actually talking about locusts here. If they were soldiers, he wouldn't say they had the appearance of horses. Or if it was a cavalry that didn't have the appearance of a cavalry. I believe that he's actually talking about a plague of locusts. As we go on further, it says, They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. Again, there's more simile here. Joel is trying to say, trying to describe what it's like using the idea or the image of an army coming. Now, it's interesting here because, or not interesting, but I want to point out, actually, that he uses here that they, they're not swerving, that they are relentless, that these locusts just keep coming. This plague, this pandemic, just keeps coming. Not only that, but they plunge through the defenses. You can imagine a plague of, of locusts coming. It doesn't matter how many arrows you shoot at them or how big your shields are, it doesn't matter. They just keep coming. It says they plunge through defenses. 
Joel goes on to say, they rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses. Like thieves, they enter through the windows. Before them, the earth shakes. The sky trembles and the sun and moon are darkened and the stars no longer shine. The city has been overrun with this plague. The sky trembles, darkened by the sheer number of bugs, of locusts in the air. And they're into everything. They've come through windows. They're in people's houses, in their rooms. They've been overrun by this plague. And it's here that Joel says, The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number. And mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Now, this is an interesting part. And as I was reading the commentary this week, uh, the commentator points out that, that he points out that this is the Lord's army. That this plague was actually commanded by God. Which is troubling when you start thinking about it as people of God. This plague comes from God. It's commanded by Yahweh. The right response here, so this gives an understanding, the right response is then not to try and kill all the bugs. Not to try and shoot arrows at them or try and defend the city. The right response is repentance. Because there is no defense against God's army. Another thing I wanted to point out here is he says, who can endure it? This is a, this is a good reminder, a good corrective for the people of God. Whether it's Israel in the Old, time, or in the Old Testament or if it's the church today, that sometimes we can get the idea that we are immune to God's justice. We can get the idea that because we are the people of God, that we will never be corrected by God. I think it's foolish for us to think you know, that God is always on my side. Sometimes we need to ask this very poignant question. We always need to examine ourselves. Are we following God or are we following a God of our own making? Are we following a God who starts to look and act a lot like us that excuses a lot of the things that we do that aren't consistent with who God wants us to be? So this text challenges us that we have to keep following God, reading Scripture, praying to discern how does God act and how does He want us to act. But we don't want to assume that God is just blessing everything that we want to do. Then in verse 12, it says this, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Right here, the Lord God is speaking to his people directly. And this, this is good news. That we can come to God, that we can repent, and that he hears us. He's saying, return to me. Even now, and despite all of this, even now, return to me. Humble yourselves. And he has this amazing image. God uses this great image where he says, rend your heart and not your garments. Essentially what he's saying is, don't give lip service to repentance. Don't even like uh, symbolically tear your own clothes to show everybody else how sad you are about your sin. He's saying, actually, repent genuinely. In your heart, where people maybe not even won't even see it, but repent genuinely. Come to the come to the Lord God with a genuine heart of repentance. And then Joel begins. Joel begins speaking to us again, giving good counsel. He says, "Return to the Lord your God." There's this repeating idea of returning to the Lord. I was recognizing this this week as I was studying in Hebrew. The word is shuv. And is this word that kind of goes throughout this part of the passage where it's saying, shuv, return to God, return, return. 
Not only that, but this is like the greatest news of the whole passage. He says, Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And He relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Now, I want to spend some time right here because this is the best part of this passage this morning. We're talking about catastrophe and this plague of locusts and how terrible it is and how unavoidable it is. And here, in the midst of all this, we have this good news that God calling us to repent and return to Him. And then Joel begins speaking to us and tells us this is what God is like. He's trustworthy, that you can return to Him. The words here are, in the Hebrew right here, it's, it's a hanun, which actually means gracious. He has this mercy when mercy isn't deserved. This is kind of how merciful God is. It's like showing kindness to people who don't deserve it. Not only that, but it has like this social status element to it. And once, um, to give an example, be like a king who gives mercy to the lowest slave. This is the sort of mercy that God gives. It's not like a friend to a friend. You know, hey, we're buddies. You know, we're equal. That we can forgive each other. This is like the highest, uh, the king of the land who gives mercy to a slave. And actually, this word, Hanun, is only actually used for Yahweh, for God. This is God-like mercy. This word is special for God. Not only that is God gracious, He's also compassionate. The word here is Rahum. And this means this deep love. And as I was studying it, it was just this, they tried to describe it as this love that a father has for a child, a newborn child, when they hold that child in their arms. This commitment to keep loving, even when things go wrong, even when things are hard. It's an unconditional love. A love that chooses regardless of the circumstances. This love waits with anticipation for the beloved to repent and to return. God is continuing to love us like this, keeps choosing us, keeps choosing to love us and wait for us to return to Him. Not only is God gracious and compassionate, but also slow to anger patient and long-suffering. You know, sometimes people have this wrong idea that God is angry in heaven and just waiting to zap people. That is not God. As we read Scripture, that is not how God is. That He is slow to anger. And then it says this. It says abounding in love. The Hebrew word behind this is hesed love, which is this, this unconditional love, this committed love. A steadfast, loyal love that keeps loving the beloved. It also has this covenantal love, this idea of coming out of a covenant. And it's not based on feelings, whether, they, whether God feels love for us or not. It's based on a promise. That God loves us faithfully and will keep loving us faithfully because of His promise to do it. It says, He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and He relents from sending calamity. Sometimes God hears our prayer and He changes His mind. There are places in Scripture where God is saying, I'm going to do this. I'm thinking of, of Abraham. And He says, no, don't do it to, um, to, to Sodom and Gomorrah because I have people there. You know, what if there's a few people who are faithful? And He prays and He asks God to, 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 to be gracious. And God works with him and He can see that God does change His mind sometimes. That God does listen to us. <clears throat> says here that Joel says that maybe he might even leave a blessing. And this is our hope that through all of this, God will leave a blessing. My hope for us, my prayer for us, 
as a church, my prayer for myself, my prayer for us, not only this community, but for the church around the world, is that we won't go back to the way things were. That we would stop praying, Lord, if we could just go back to the way it was. We don't want that. There were all sorts of problems with the way things were. We want to move forward to a new faithfulness. We have turned away from those things and we have turned towards God. We want a new faithfulness. I was thinking about it this week as a church for us to grow. I think, you know, as for us as a church, when we do things collectively for us to grow in terms of compassion, mercy, and justice. This week, Tracy and I were talking about how many conversations we've had about um, ministering to people at the BBI. There are lots of people there with addiction and brokenness, people who need help. And how many times have Tracy and I thought, you know, we should, we should do something there over the years. We've talked about that and feeling convicted now that as a church, I need to lead us in that direction. To, be, to stop just talking about things, but to start doing them. <clears throat> For me to lead that way. Then there's this text here where it says, Joel says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children, those nursing on the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Joel is encouraging the people of God to respond as a community, to fast, to humble themselves, then to gather together as a sacred assembly, to gather together as a group of, of the people of God to come before God to petition Him, to repent, to lament, and to ask God to guide us forward, to come with humility, with genuine repentance, with a rend heart, not so much a rendered, a rendered shirt. Not only that, but he says there's urgency. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion. He's saying, announce the alarm. Get people doing this. The time is now. I was thinking about it this last week, this Thursday. There was a group of us gathered here to do just this. That day, we spent that day fasting and then gathered at night uh, to here at the church to, to, as a sacred assembly to lament the things that we have lost in these last few months, the things that have changed, and then some of them may never go back. Events, things that have come and gone that have been forever changed. We lament that fact. Not only that, but then we began repenting. Lord, please forgive us for the times that we were off track before all this happened, that we're not wasting this pandemic. We're not going to just continue on in the old ways, Lord. We want to return to you. And then we spent the last bit of our time together praying that God would guide us forward in a new faithfulness, to be faithful, even closer to Jesus. For me, someone like me, to work on some of the things that I need to work on, to stop just accepting them for, oh, that's just the way it is, but rather to, to repent and to return to God. We were praying these things, and I was so encouraged, and God actually was speaking to me through that. This last bit here, Joel gives. He says, let them say, let the people of God say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the prophets, where is their God? Joel is saying that this, this invasion is relentless. It's unstoppable. Our only response is repentance, hoping that recovery comes soon. I feel that too, even in our time right now. But I don't know. I mean, I was, I was listening to uh, N.C. Wright, a theologian, talk about how some people are praying, you know, like, Lord, do something magical and, and, and just magically make all this disappear. I would love that. 
But I think actually that God is calling us, the people of God, to move through this. Not to somehow get us out of it, but rather walk through it faithfully. I'm hoping that, that all of this ends soon. But I'm hoping more than that, that we would grow through this time. And if I might say that it takes as long as it needs to for us to grow in faithfulness. Now, I realize that we are going through this too. And like locusts, there's not much we can do to undo this catastrophe. But we can navigate it faithfully. We can, as a people of God, continue to repent. Lord, please forgive us. Show us the ways that we were off track so that we can get back to you. That we can follow God and live even more faithfully. Saying, Holy Spirit, help me. I don't want to do this on my own. I don't want to do this out of my own self-discipline or my own willpower. God, I want to be closer to you. I want to be more faithful. I had this image actually uh, yesterday as I was preparing for this morning. This idea of a crucible. The crucible is this tiny vessel that you put, or it depends on how big the operation is, but for this picture here, this tiny vessel that you put the steel or the, the metal in. And what you do is you heat it. And you heat it and heat it and heat it to burn out the impurities, to separate the impurities, to improve the metal. And I think about it, this situation feels like a crucible. I don't know if you guys are feeling, I mean, it, it started months ago with, with the idea of a virus. And then as economies began to shut down and people were, were locked down. Not only that, now I see people without work and things are, bills are starting to pile up. I see relationships starting to struggle because of the tension of all this. It feels like the temperature is going up, like we are in this crucible. Now, the choice we have, or we have all sorts of them, but one faithful choice is to keep following God, to keep moving closer to Him, to see this not as a, as a fire that's meant to burn us down, but rather as a crucible meant to purify us. Crucibles are painful, but they purify so we have this time to repent, to burn off all the things that were distracting us, that were keeping us from God. As I'm thinking about it this morning, that we can do all these things and we can trust God because as Joel said, God is good. That He is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. That there is hope. That maybe even through all this, that God will bring a blessing. That He will relent. Now I suspect that the losses will keep coming. I suspect the conversations about people who will say, like, I had this trouble in a relationship that we didn't have or that things were troubling before, but now things are getting worse. Or people who will say, like, I had this medical condition, but now because of everything that's going on, I can't get the, the treatment that I need and it's getting worse. Or people will say, you know, I was barely making it economically before all of this, but now because there's hardly any work and because people are, are struggling, now I'm in real trouble. I think things are going to get harder before they get easier. And for us to keep walking faithfully with God through this, through this crucible. It would be a shame if we went through all of this and then just went back to the old way, to the way things were. I hear God calling us forward to a new faithfulness. And this is not just God calling us to this, but also a good God. This is the news that I wanted to encourage us in this morning. Is that we have an amazing God who calls us through this and He's worthy of our trust. Because he is merciful and compassionate. He is slow to anger and he is rich in love. This is the God that we follow. This is the God who is calling us forward. Amen.